Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm one of your awesome co-hosts, Reagan Kelly. I'm with two other awesome co-hosts this week. Nate Heininger, how are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well, and this newfound opening enthusiasm that you have is just gig- makes me giggle every time. It's great. Oh, you know, I try. And uh, I gotta, gotta keep up the enthusiasm in the dark, bleak hellscape of the game that we're talking about today. <laughs> Laura true. Nash, how are you doing today, Laura? I am definitely not possessed by Satan. Uh, neither am I. I know of. It's good to clarify. Early, yeah. early and often. And this week we are talking uh, about Pony Island. A game with a really cheerful sounding title that hides a dark secret that's not even really that much of a secret, but lots of cool little surprises. And the secret is not that the ponies actually look like unicorn triceratops. That's a good point. They do kind of, actually. Not a secret. That's just in the game art. (laughs) I never thought about that. You are absolutely right. So Pony Island, uh, initially it seems as if you are playing a very cutesy, arcade-style, endless runner game. But that uh, pretense drops away almost immediately, to the point where really, if you look at even the, the most minimal marketing for this game... The surprise of this game is not, oh, hey, guess what? This isn't uh, a cute Endless Runner starring ponies. Uh, The developer describes it as a suspense puzzle game in disguise. You are in limbo, trapped in a malevolent and malfunctioning arcade machine designed by the devil himself. It is not a game about ponies. So... Right up front, this game is telling you that there's there's hidden stuff. This is a uh, this is a uh, game with multiple levels. Uh, Wikipedia calls this a metatextual game. So this is a game where you are trying to investigate sort of the world around the game that you're exp- experiencing. You know, you're playing a game, but there are things happening that are more expansive than just the game itself. You're trying to explore the world around it. The game itself is played in on like where you see the screen of the game that you're playing on. Like there's always a border around the edge of your screen showing the border of the screen that you're playing like Pony Island on. Like out of the gates, the view is not just the game, but actually like what the world that you're sitting in while you're playing the game. And even the first thing you see is a broken start menu, and you have to go in the options menu and choose fix start menu. So it's kind of, uh, someone described this at uh, Rock, Caper, Shotgun as a game that doesn't seem to want you to play it. (laughs) And I think that's true for the beginning, but then it's a game that doesn't want you to stop playing it. Uh, And it's very much part of the narrative. Like It's an odd game that feels very open while it's very much on rails. This got a lot of buzz in early 2016. I mean, actually, it came out in early 2016, although it was based on a, I think, 2014 Ludum Dare game. Um, but uh, it got a whole lot of buzz when it came out based on essentially zero marketing. It had just sort of kind of exploded onto Steam, and I started seeing a lot of people reviewing it or talking about it. And almost everything that I read about it sort of prefaced it with, This game is only $5 on Steam, and if I tell you almost anything interesting about it, it'll spoil some of its unique charm. Um, So really, just go play it and try it out, and come back, meet me me here, and we'll talk about it for the rest of the review, right? And I kind of took that at its word. I didn't read very much about this game uh, when it first came out, 
but that kind of had the maybe unintended consequence of making me think like, well, I'll get around to playing this eventually, right? I don't want to play it right this minute, uh, but I also don't want to read literally anything about it for fear of being spoiled. And so it kind of fell off my radar before it ever had a chance to kind of get in there. It's hard sometimes with mystery games of knowing whether it's going to appeal to you. And I think this game, in some ways, was very careful to say there's a twist, but you didn't know if the twist was going to be something that was antithetical to the type of games you like playing. Whereas we love games about games. Mm -hmm. If someone had said Pony Island is a game that's very meta, there's a lot of games about games bits in there, I think we would have been on it day one. But since everyone was saying it's a very secretive thing, you can't tell anybody about what the plot twists are, we all kind of let it skim by. And it's a little bit of a shame because I think this definitely could have been in our 100th episode list of, what, four or five games about games. This is right up there. It's it's the same type of thing. Um, Although people might not jump to that conclusion right away. Yeah, and I know for me, like, the kind of humor or, like, the aesthetic around it, the whole, like, it's a game made by, you know, Satan and it's, like, <laughs> kind of, like, eh, you know, like, uh, it's so edgy or, like, the, the... So punk. Oh, yeah. Like, that concept can be very off-putting, you know, because we've all... We're almost, like, tired of it. I, and And to be honest, at the beginning of this game... That's kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, man, like, like another, like, this is, like, I get it. Like, oh. Yeah, it felt very, like, consciously edgy, right, at at the start. You you think, like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to face off against Satan in this haunted arcade game. And that that at first can seem cool, but it's. And it's like, oh, but it's ponies. It felt a little hot topic-y. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm that's what I'm looking for. But But people I trusted said it was clever and I think that helped me push past the initial trolling of yeah. the game. The game yeah. trolls you, let's be honest. Yeah. This is a game that's full of it. little surprises that are all intended to kind of subvert your expectations and in subtle or very obvious ways kind of troll you and make you second mm-hmm. guess the game or or make you feel feel a little bit dumb, but in in a way that continues to propel you through it, not in a way that really put me off at least. By the end of the game, I do believe that that beginning part of the like, yeah, like feels like a hot topic, like, you know, they would, this would be right up that alley was also a choice. And uh, once you kind of get past it, you recognize the whole thing is like a total package and they wanted you to kind of feel that way a little bit at the beginning. Um, And ultimately, I thought they executed it really well, Um, but it took a little while for me to get into the game. I'm curious if I didn't know there was a twist coming, if I would have kept playing. I think some of the, you know, hack the game stuff early on is really intriguing, but I don't think that the game front ends its most interesting pieces. I think that you get a lot of the really unique gameplay 45 minutes plus end. And for a two and a half hour game, that's a lot. That's true. I think what's really interesting about it is that, like, it's not one twist. Like, you you get the sense from the description right off the bat. This is a game where it's like, oh, there's a twist. And it seems like the twist is obvious. It seems like the twist is, I'm stuck in a video game designed by Satan. But wait, no, actually, that's not the twist. That is in the Steam description. You are playing a game written by Satan. 
So the twists are tons of little ways that the game just subtly or really consciously surprises you. It's got a ton of interesting twists that happen every few minutes. This game never spends more than five minutes doing the same thing. Uh, it certainly has sort of things it continues doing again and again in new ways. Uh, but we'll talk about some of its sort of overall game modes, I guess. But it's constantly surprising you with new stuff. Yeah, I never really felt like there was a twist in this game. I never went like, like, oh shit, like I did not see that coming. It felt like it was just a game that kept like digging deeper into its own sort of world that it was creating. Every step was a progression of the things that it had done before. Um, and where you end up is way different than where you began. But it's like a bunch of just series of turns instead of like a dramatic twist. It's not really about like surprising revelations about the player or character or, you know, setting in the game. It's more about little fascinating surprising gameplay revelations that are just like like every few minutes i just had to like something would happen and i would think i was stuck and then i would suddenly discover something that made me chuckle and think man that was clever this game is constantly doing things that are just like wow that was really clever really interesting so something it does that i am trained to hate in work environment is there's a thing called mystery me navigation or like it's when you don't know what to click on next and you're just kind of stuck looking at the screen and clicking on random shit to see what happens. This game does it and I found it charming and it is breaking my brain that I like that because I'm trained to react with disgust in my normal life to that. And yet this game made me kind of revel in the fact that I often got stuck, and I was pretty sure if I just kind of wandered around and clicked, I'd find something unexpected. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't sound good, but it's good. <laughs> There's a certain joy in breaking a game. I mean, you can watch, I mean, uh, uh, AGDQ is going on right now, and you can see these incredibly skilled people breaking video games, and that's essentially all they're doing. And this is a game that you don't have to be good at this game to break it. This game is all about breaking the game. And this is this is a game about playing a broken game. You're playing a badly programmed game by really, ha you almost feel bad for Satan because he's this hapless programmer who's tried to put together a good game and you're constantly, a good game that will trap you for all eternity. And you're constantly escaping from it by finding the crappy patched over code or bad interface elements or other weird broken stuff in the game and exploiting that to escape from his his world that he's designed for you. And that's that's fun. Like, there's nothing more fun than breaking a game. Like, you always remember that first time when you were playing, a, I don't know, uh, like a uh, an action RPG, and you realize that you could somehow, through some combination of things, level up your character's jump stat to the point where you could leap over tall buildings or something like that. That Rosebud code in The Sims that gave you <laughs> infinite money. Or I remember very clearly playing GoldenEye 64, me and a friend of mine, and we figured out that uh, you you remember those like big boxes, they looked like steel crates, and you could shoot them and they'd blow up and they just leave like a half shell of that crate. Mm -hmm. Well, you could throw a proximity mine or like a remote mine into that shell, and then the box would respawn 
through like a normal timer. And now the mine was inside of that box where no player could see it. But the proximity aspect of it still worked. So uh, you could set all these like super secret mines or do remote mines, and then you invite your friends over to play. And you spend like <laughs> you spend the entire match trying to set up that exact situation where you've blown up a box, <laughs> put a mine in it, the box is uh, reformed, and then your friend walks by and blows up and has no idea what's happened. And when it works, it is the most satisfying thing. I have we would like uh, we would uh, only pick the scientist characters when we were doing stuff like this as if we were, like, scientists in the game <laughs> and try to come up with, like, stupid ways to break them. So I, I know exactly what you mean. And that's not even really breaking a game. Like, no, Yeah, you're you know, playing not, entirely by not, the rules there. You're just the playing game. by broken yeah. rules. And but that's a great fe- yeah, thing. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, that's a great um, feeling in a video game. That sort of I've, – I've figured out the rules, and I know the rules now better than the program knows the rules. And I'm going to mm-hmm. do something that you never thought of. And this game is all about setting up that feeling again and again and again and again. And, of course, the programmer, the creator of the game, Daniel Mullins, has thought all of this stuff out. This is a pretty on-rails scripted experience, but it's a consistently surprising scripted experience. Um, so I really, really liked that about it. Yeah, and you were saying, like, it's it's often very funny. There's, like, no moment in this game that I was you know, out loud, like cracking up, but there was probably a hundred times where I went like, huh, you know, like, oh man, that was, you know, I didn't see that coming. Or just like little moments, like rapid fire, little jokes that kind of hit you and you just move on to something else. And I love how this game feels like it makes sense when you're in the moment, but when someone else passes by and you're playing it, it looks like you've stepped into some weird time warp nightmare land. Oh Yeah. And, like, every time uh, Justin passed my computer screen and looked at it, it looked like I was playing, one, a different game, and two, playing it very badly. (laughs) So I think that it's really fun if you like going through a lot of different emotions and a lot of different gameplay modes, some of which we'll talk about during the spoil break. Yeah, it's like a a WarioWare with a plot in some ways. I mean, not quite that much, but like, it's it's constantly changing up things on you. Yeah, I was thinking uh, it it really, really felt both in controls and gameplay when you're actually like playing the kind of mini games that we'll talk about. It felt like the stuff we would play back on like addictinggames.com or like e-bombs, you know, or like uh, Newgrounds, um, you know, like the Flash games. Uh, It felt like series of those and then you would finish the little challenge and then you would jump into the like Satan aspect of the game and like kind of the back end of it. Um, Something I wanted to mention just while we're talking about the game in generalities is that this really reminds me of, I think it's got to have been kind of an influence on it, that urban legend about the game Polybius. Is that something you guys are familiar with? Have you heard that urban legend? No. No. It's it's one of my favorite like urban legends, right? And the 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 idea is that sometime back in the 70s in the early days of the arcades, there was a uh, there was a video game that came out in arcades called Polybius. And that Polybius was uh, a game that had weird psychological effects on players. So that, like, you know, you'd go to an arcade and you'd start putting quarters into Polybius. And it wasn't just, like, the uh, the anecdotal, like, Pac-Man fever. This was a game that literally drove players insane. That players would, have would like, have amnesia or they would have... 
like, uh, you know, they would break into cold sweats while playing it, that some of the players disappeared and never, never came back. And that, um, then the game was immediately, very shortly removed from arcades by, you know, government trucks and never seen again. And, <laughs> and that there's, uh, there's all, you know, rumors of, well, some guy in California still has a ROM image of the game or that, you know, so-and-so has, like, documentation that it existed. And it's it's one of these sort of early, uh, early message board rumors. And it's just one of those things that I really love that concept. I love this sort of, like, almost, almost like Cthulhu mythos meets, uh, meets you know, uh, Pac-Man kind of vibe to it. I really, really like that story, even though it's there's no evidence that it's real, of course, because it's ridiculous. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, it reminded me of the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. What happens to the pinball wizard? Um, he plays the game and gets trapped within it, and he has mm-hmm. to find the king and crown him. Like, the plot of this the pinball game, as loose as it is, is what he has to live out because he is trapped within the Mm. pinball game and, and must solve all the riddles therein so he can escape. Do you think it's coincidence that twice now we individually have referenced like nineties stuff from this game? Oh no, not at all. What a lot of it. Yeah. This is absolutely like, I mean, you just have to look at the graphics for a moment and realize like this, I'd say graphically, the, the thing I can say it looks closest to would be like a ZX Spectrum game. Um, but that's a bit of a deep cut. Like, it looks like an early 80s game that you might play on a personal computer. So, like, you It know, looked like stuff I'd play on, like, a black and white Mac. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, when an Apple kid, II. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's, uh, it's very sort of lo-fi. Obviously, we've been talking about its sort of setup. But, you know, your setup is you're playing an arcade game. Maybe we should talk about the first moment we briefly mentioned it, but like when you first open up this game, you get a title screen that looks like a very cutesy Pony Island game, and then you hit like start game, and you see a kind of a flickering CRT startup, and now you're sitting in front of the Pony Island arcade machine, uh, and you can't look around, you're trapped looking directly at the screen. And when you go to click on start, nothing works, and then you go into the options screen, and you have to figure out how to start the game the option screen has some kind of weird options in it um but when you try to click on them they start literally falling off of the screen revealing an advanced options thing but you can't click on that without kind of assembling some of the parts of the broken interface into the words advanced options then you can click on that and one of the options there is to fix the start menu so you actually have this sort of multi-layered puzzle. Oh, and then when you click to fix the start menu, you have to, you, it takes you into your first example of the little code puzzles that we'll probably be talking about in a moment, where you you see what looks like the code of the game. Obviously, it's pseudocode, but you're dragging around little blocks of code to try to get the game to let you start it at all. And so it's this really, like, very brief explanation of what the game is all about. You are playing something broken. You have to fix it. The game doesn't want you to play it, or alternately, it doesn't want you to escape. But there's something about this game that's always broken, and it's your job to not just fix it and make it work, but fix it in hacky, bizarre ways to make it work. It it wants you to play Pony Island. It doesn't want you to do anything else on the computer or on the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but you as the player along with a friend uh find out a lot of more about this game and this machine and what you can do but after getting through this first little puzzle uh that reagan was describing you get into your first run of playing pony island and it's a it's not an endless runner but it is an uh what's it called automatic runner um, yeah mm-hmm. where your po- your pony is moving left to right um at this point it's like a the kind of like black and white screen uh and you click left on your mouse to jump mm-hmm. and little fences are going to come and you jump over the fences and once you've got to the end without running into a fence you get a big flag pole like a mario flag and uh, you beat the level. And it's at this point that we should caution that the beginning of this game, it says, do not try to play this with a trackpad. I will say, do not try to play this with a trackpad. I actually Amazon Prime Nowed a mouse because this game <laughs> cannot be played without both a left and right mouse button. And yeah. you can press the space bar. It's just really, really tough. And it gets increasingly harder. You really need that mouse to play Or if you're like me and you know you're on like your trackpad and you're like no i'm as good at you know single clicking as i am at two finger clicking so i can do both Mm -hmm. like i i never uh i I can do this i promise within like 30 seconds of trying like this is literally impossible without i mean i think walk a melee with the trackpad and (laughs) i needed to get a mouse for this it's yeah it's impossible we should uh we should drop a spoiler break here in a moment and actually in a weird way the reason that you can't play this with a trackpad the specific reason uh, is, is almost a spoiler. a spoiler. So um, it is. Yeah. we will we will say like you absolutely need a two button mouse to play this game. Um, I played it on the Mac version, which worked fine. Uh, there's a little quirk that I ran into that we'll talk about, I suppose, in a little bit. Um, but uh, works fine. But you need a two button mouse for this game. I also hear that it works fine with the Steam controller if you've got one of those. But other other than that, I don't think you're probably going to want to play this with anything other than a two button mouse. If you are listening to this on time, Pony Island is part of the overwhelmingly positive Humble Bundle right now, and that is games that are overwhelmingly positively rated on Steam. Like there's something like an 85% or 95% or something positive rating. So people really love this game, and as a result, you can get it as a part of a bundle right now. Pay what you want. This is actually a really good bundle. I know it's a bit of a sidetrack, and for folks who are listening after this bundle has already closed, it may be a bit uh, lame, but there are some really good games in this bundle, so I just want to call out a couple of them specifically while we're while we're on. Um, uh, Pay What You Want is this game, Pony Island, something I've never played, Epic Fantasy Battle 4, don't know what that is, and Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, which is my favorite game from the Shantae series, a series I have a lot of affection for. Really fun sort of Metroidvania. Um the uh, Beat the Average section includes Day of the Tentacle Remastered, which is amazing. And the Pay $10 or More option includes the P- the basically brand new PC port of N++. Uh, N++ was, uh, uh, was a PS4 exclusive for its first year. It's now out on Steam. If you didn't grab it on PS4 or couldn't, maybe you didn't have a PS4, it is one of the best 
examples of a totally stripped down, amazing platformer that you will ever play. It's so worth trying. So um, it's, it's worth $10, no questions asked. So this is a great bundle if you uh, if you haven't gotten it yet and it's still running when you hear this. Yeah, otherwise, um, if you are listening after that bundle is over, Pony Island is worth it. it on its own, it is five bucks. Um, yeah. So you should totally pick it up. And before we hit the spoiler break, uh, I did want to just uh, shout out to the music for this game, mm-hmm. uh, which was it, it was fun. Um, it's interesting. There's some like some little funky tunes in there too that I loved. Uh, it uh, it's just a great job with it. Um, we don't have to spend too much time talking about it because I'm assuming it's been playing through this episode. But uh, it it added. It was for a game that was so stripped down. Like they definitely broke the rules a little bit on what you could do with music. For a game that you would expect from that time, if that makes sense. It was a little bit more complex. It was it was nice. So here it is, your spoiler break. So this game is weird. Very weird. <laughs> I, I think it, we probably should talk about the different modes or gameplay styles that this game has um i I don't feel like we really need to go into a whole lot of detail about the story which is you know kind of interesting there's things to discover there but there's a few main modes that you'll be playing in and then each of those has a bunch of cool surprises within it and the main thing that we've talked about so far is the arcade game pony island itself weirdly enough i actually really enjoyed playing the endless runner or like auto runner uh portions of the game like it starts off seeming incredibly bare bones and simple but it continues to layer on interesting stuff every time you play a lot of pony island in pony island but i never i never really got bored with it i occasionally got a little frustrated but never even that much it's a it's a fun little auto runner yeah i had a problem with one level but i'll talk about that later but um I did too. It was fun. Um, I was surprised at how fun it was to just uh, left click to jump. And then what we were hiding behind the spoiler break is the fact that the Pony Island itself gets more and more complex as you add new skills to your pony, uh, including wings and a giant laser gun. The laser, I think, was the first like real like exciting discovery or like thing that you feel like you're oh man i'm really breaking out of this thing now like fairly early in the game uh you you discover uh the uh, somewhere in the options menu i forget exactly how you got to it now but you discover somewhere in the options options menu a kind of a shrine with little beautiful uh figures all pointing at a beautiful checkbox that says enable pony lasers and you go to a try salvation to, mode. Oh yeah. And you try to click on that box and the option or the whole screen shrinks and dodges away from your mouse. And you try to click it again, it shrinks again and dodges away from your mouse. And uh, you know, Satan taunts you with some text saying, you know, you can't enable that option, I won't allow it. Uh, but then you get the option to go into the code of the game and and make that text box get bigger again until you can click on it yourself. Uh, you do some increasingly difficult puzzles, and your payoff for getting those puzzles is now your pony can shoot lasers, and that really expands the game and makes the auto running part actually kind of fun. It's it's still a little simple, but it's it's kind of fun. It is fun. It's like just the right amount of challenge. I mean, you know, the things that are coming is uh, now not only are you jumping over little fences, uh, you are fighting off 
butterflies. <laughs> and they come well, at Well, at you first they're little different... devil heads, right? They're little, uh, they, little Satan yeah. faces. They, they become and... butterflies much later. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, that, that part's like seared into my brain. Yeah, so oh, they are little heads. And, and you, um, they're coming in at different angles. And this is where the, the mouse is required. Because yeah. uh, at least the, the, the biggest one is that they will come at you and they will circle you. And what you have to do is with the right mouse button, hold right mouse to shoot your laser, which has a, a timer on it. You can't just hold down the laser and then sweep like a full circle around uh, and knock off all of these bad guys while also often having to still jump over fences. And it's impossible without two separate buttons. Yeah. The thing is, the trackpads, or at least Mac trackpads, there is literally no way to both left-click and right-click at the same time. It's just not possible. Um, And that's really the reason you can't play it on a trackpad. Probably applies to PC trackpads as well. I don't know if if that applies to every kind of trackpad. But unless you are able to simultaneously left-click and right-click and do it, you know, on command, not something wacky because this is well and alternating because what you can do with a trackpad is you can click to jump and then like right click right right after it and do like the sweep so i was able to do Mm -hmm. it sometimes um but what you can't do is like jump and then uh hold down the laser and then jump again if you need to yeah Um, and that's where it gets particularly difficult especially later on as the uh, things that you're trying to fight come at you uh, in different angles and at different like rates of speed or require precision shots um, while also jumping. Um, it- and this game never really gets that hard. I mean, apart from that one little quirk, if you're trying to play on a trackpad, which obviously don't, um, but if it never really gets all that hard, either with the action sequences or with the, I mean, there are certainly some places where I died repeatedly, but it jumps you right back in, and it's never really, it's not about being hard. Even the puzzles are never really, like, long-term stumpers. Um, mm-hmm. This game is about, you know, s- consistently surprising you and not stymieing you with difficulty. But there are some times where the game gets, you know, pretty tough. I also just want to say, too, that, like, we've mentioned the trackpad thing, like, five times but that's just because how a lot of us play yeah this is no criticism on the game like they say right out of the gates like you should use a mouse and that's a totally legitimate thing for a game to request of its players i mean it wasn't even that long ago where that's the only way you would play a computer game so yeah absolutely uh, it's just it seems on the face of it like a point and click and the and that issue doesn't come up until at least 15 or 20 minutes in um Mm -hmm. and so it's it's something that could catch you by surprise if you didn't know you could sit down oh great this is great i can play on my trackpad and then no you can't yeah we're just used to seeing discouragement of trackpads and then ignoring them because we think we're better (laughs) than it yeah like let's be real again like i walked in saying well i beat guacamole on a trackpad no no, no get him. Use a mouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. And it doesn't have to be a good mouse. mouse. Like I, I use this crappy little Bluetooth Microsoft notebook mouse that I, you know, picked up for some uh, audio editing thing and use like once a year. And it's a piece of junk, but it works fine for this. This is not a like I've got a super Dynex. high precision thing. You know what Dynex is? Uh, Dynex is the in-house Best Buy brand. Oh. <laughs> high quality Classy. stuff, I'm sure. So yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a high precision thing. You can do it with any mouse, but you do need two buttons. Yeah, so we're a half hour in, and we've talked about uh, devils and getting trapped in the video game. We haven't talked about the other souls 
that are trapped within the game, especially those that talk to you as little friends, little helpful code hacking friends. Yeah. One of the first things that you do once you kind of start breaking out of the game, so to speak, is you get to a desktop interface. And the desktop, you know, you're kind of seeing the system that this uh, demented game is running on, the, the the system that Satan is using to control you, is just a crappy 1980s or maybe early 90s uh, black and white computer with a desktop full of broken looking icons. Um, but one of the ones that works is a little messenger interface, and you can chat with two characters there's really two other characters in this game unless you count some of the really minor things there's um there's satan himself who has a really leet screen name that reads as lucifer but has a lot of numbers and characters in it um and there's the what what do they call him again the lost soul hopeless soul the hopeless i think soul. it's hopeless hopeless soul yeah. soul yeah yeah and the hopeless soul is your guide in escaping from Lucifer. He has figured out some stuff, but he needs your help to shut down the system and break the game and escape. Poor little dude. And that guy basically messages you back and forth. There's two people talking to you the whole time. There's the uh, hopeless soul, and then there's the devil. And luckily, the game color codes their messages so you know who's talking to you. And I I say that kind of facetiously, but honestly, it's really helpful that they're coded differently because there's a lot of kind of chatting back and forth and they don't have to have like a little animated character that just kind of show blue text for one and red text for the other. And it's really clear who's yelling at you at what time. Mm Mm-hmm. So once you break out into the desktop, uh, and there's a few cool things you can discover there. There's a lot of little hidden stuff in the desktop interface. For example, like there's some little mini games that you can run at various points from the desktop interface. Um, you can try a little uh, very minimal shooter called Pony Galaxy, or there's some walkthrough text. You get the sense that like this is the interface that the, the devil used to create the Pony Island game. And there's some stuff in there that's like old crappy versions of it. Yeah, just different uh, attempts at creating Pony Island before landing on the runner. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and at one desktop, you get to play a game called Settlers of Satan, like Satan. You know, I think I might have missed that one. What was that one? I did too. I saw it on the list here, and I was so bummed. If you open it up, it's just um, if you log into the devil's desktop, there's that game. And if you play it, it's a little Settlers simulation. And if you manage to... Uh, play until you get all of your resources at 666 you get a ticket (laughs) oh funny (laughs) it is delightful i completely stumbled into it it was lovely i just was playing this game and trying to figure out what the purpose was and then 666 showed up it blinked red and a ticket showed up oh that's great Lord. Yeah, we didn't mention the tickets. There's a, a kind of a collectible in the game that's there to hint at various secrets. I, and there's like 40-something tickets that you can collect. They're truth tickets. And essentially, they are like a collectible that if you really go out of your way to try to find every nook and cranny in this game, um, a lot of them have these tickets hidden in them. And there is a secret ending that you can get by uh, getting all of the tickets. Um, I didn't really go for that. And I was pretty satisfied with the base ending. But if you are the sort of person who wants to 100% the game, there is this sort of additional layer that requires multiple playthroughs, I think, um, and requires like a really in-depth attention to detail and willingness to try all kinds of bizarre things in order to get the tickets. Um, 
I got probably 10 tickets of the 40-some while I was on my way through the game. There's also there's also uh, a lot of tickets that are acquired by finding the free ticket button that is often <laughs> just in the options menu. <laughs> you go to options, it's like anti-aliasing, uh, you know, graphics, settings, free ticket, <laughs> yep, back. So we haven't talked very much yet. I mean, there's obviously a lot of little cool things in the desktop mode, but part of sort of the desktop mode are the code puzzles. There's a lot of moments in the game where you need to break something. I need to make the start button work. I need to, uh, you know, turn off the paths on the map in adventure mode. There's all sorts of different ways that you need to break the game. And in most cases, you do it by going through a portal your helpful, uh, hopeless soul usually places portals for you in various places in the game that you can find and click on. And they take you into the code of the game, the sort of underlying logic behind the game. And it's not really quite like human resource machine or anything like that. Like this isn't real code. It's this sort of like creepy looking pseudo code. But mostly the puzzles are almost sort of lemmings like you have a little code pointer that's represented by a key that kind of shows where the like where the where the computer is in stepping through the logic of the code and you have little blocks that are just arrows that point that code pointer to different places in the code so you might have a kind of a loop back that says okay go from here to way up here or you might have an arrow that says change column um, and ultimately you just need to get the little code pointer to follow your arrows in a particular place yeah, and it, it gets increasingly difficult. Um, I, I think Human Resource Machine, though, is probably the most similar feeling experience that I've had for a while with this. Like, Human Resource Machine, considerably more complicated and more, like, math-oriented. But you are setting up, like, what's the best path for this? What's the most efficient path? Yeah. Um, some, like, resets and things like that where you're getting your key to go through a, a loop before breaking it from the loop to complete a certain task. It's I would compare it even more to something like Lemmings than to that, because like essentially you're just setting up little blocks that say, go here, go here, go here. Like if you, if you've played a game like Lemmings, then you have an idea of what you're doing here. You're, you're setting up little signposts that say, go from here to here. And interestingly, you can move those little blocks uh, around as the code runs. So sometimes your solutions, in fact, pretty early on, your solutions start having to be, you don't just set up a system and watch it go like you might with something like Human Resource Machine. You have to break that code as it runs and move things around as they're, as they're happening in order to get things to happen. Yeah, there's a split command, there's jump command. So something like Human Resource Machine, you're actually doing something very similar to real code. This is using things that are inspired by code, but you definitely don't need a grasp of coding concepts. You just need to understand like, if I put this symbol here, it'll jump to this spot. That's about as far as you need mm -hmm. to go. It's not as um, interested in teaching you coding concepts as human resource machine. <laughs> not at all, really. And in, in, in essence, you're not really building code like something like human resource machine. You are breaking code. You are putting in things that stop the code from doing what it's supposed to do. Um, it's really actually a surprisingly fun puzzle game. What I think is really smart about it, what the developer has done really, really well here, is that like these are really basic puzzle mechanics, but he's consistently adding new things to it and never spends very long on a single set of ideas. So, you know, you might have, I, I mean, I don't know, there are really only maybe 
uh, 40 or 50 of these puzzles through the whole game, and almost any one of them maybe takes one to three minutes to solve. They're not long. They move at a brisk pace. If you get stuck, you'll find yourself getting unstuck really quickly. Um, But it's constantly adding new clever twists, new types of little blocks, new arrangements of things that it never becomes boring. And uh, they're really, it's really smart about like keeping the duration of the, like it's, it's really smart about not repeating itself, keeping this stuff moving quickly and never really putting up a roadblock, never, never a puzzle that I was never stopped by the puzzles. I always felt like I was moving forward. No, they could usually be uh, a little bit of trial and error. You know, you could just kind of get it running, see how it behaves, and yeah, usually get it figured out. The, I, I did appreciate. I, I thought some of them were even they 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 were never truly difficult, and I did think that they were pretty fun. Uh, and some of them were clever in and of themselves. They would establish like little goals within the puzzle, like. Uh, there'd be variables on the side that say like X equals, you know, three and Y equals negative three. And in the path of the little key that you're moving around will be a little thing that says like X plus one and then X minus one. And you have to meet certain requirements uh, by having the key pass over this variable change, you know, a certain amount of times before it would be able to get through a certain goalpost. Um, and it required a, like a next level uh, beyond just like which way does this key go uh, sort of puzzle solving. It's like which way does this key go and how do I get it back to that button without it like ending? How do I loop yeah. it? And then how do I break the loop once I've succeeded in that goal? Yeah. Sometimes talking about sometimes talking about puzzles is a little bit like uh, you know the old adage of dancing about architecture it's a little bit hard to explain and really the joy of puzzles Mm -hmm. is sometimes in the figuring out so it might be a little hard for us to kind of convey what is good about these puzzles apart from to say that they never like i don't always like puzzle games and i sometimes find myself getting too frustrated i'm the sort of person who like laura you're a puzzle person um you may have found the you you solve puzzles far faster and and with a lot more uh, alacrity than i do and gusto there's a lot of gusto so i find myself getting getting really stymied by puzzles a lot like puzzle games often I respect and think they're cool, and very often I get like halfway into them, I get stuck, and I I just lose interest. I never lost interest in this. It always moved at a brisk pace, and I never felt dumb, but I also never felt like I was like uh, like steamrolling it. Did you? I don't think so. I mean, I felt like the puzzles were straightforward, but I thought they were clever at the same time. There's mm-hmm. enough jokes in uh, the puzzles that even if you can solve it relatively quickly, while it's looping, you're seeing a lot of jokes in the fake code. Like, can this number pass 666? That kind of joke. Yeah. Um, Which I always enjoyed. Universally enjoyed. Yeah, the code itself is really amusing and interesting. So, yeah, even if you're steamrolling the puzzles, there's still sort of an enjoyable experience. Yeah, it's it's another example of the constant little, like, ha, you know, there's like a line in the code that says like, don't go this way. And then like right below it is, you know, a thing that'll like totally botch your, 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 your string, you know, so you know not to go that way. And the game's kind of telling you not to go that way. You might accidentally go that way. And you're like, damn it, it even told me not to do that. You know, I think this game has 
20 ideas to every one it needed. And that is a really fun thing in a two and a half hour game. Absolutely. And part of that is just sort of all the weird twists and surprises that the game uh, throws at you as you're playing. Um, I mean, this game has a sort of, it has these sort of boss battles. You know, you're uh, you're going to be facing off against these daemons. Is that how you pronounce that with, with regards to computer systems? The it's a bit of a pun yeah. because they're not daemons. Daemon, daemons, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so it has these daemons that defend the core files of the system, and your goal is to destroy or delete three core files to force the the thing to shut down so that you can escape. And each time that you do that, they they're these little enemies. They have personality, they have names, and each one of them is full of little surprises and twists as it tries to stop you from deleting the core files that uh, that they defend. And every one of those was a delight, but like there's all sorts of little I, I know we're past the spoiler break, and so hopefully the people who are listening to this have either played the game or fully decided that they don't want to. But I want to talk a little bit about what I thought was the absolute, like, best nugget of this game, which is the Asmodeus battle at the end when you're fighting that last uh, that last daemon. Um but again, like I'm talking about something that is essentially all surprises, and these are things that will be far less interesting if you haven't, uh, you know, if you haven't see, you'll be far less interesting if you see them coming. So again, here's a spot where if you haven't, uh, I know we're past the spoiler break, and but here's a sort of a double spoiler break. So there are so many little surprises in here, but as the Asmodeus battle was like just a, a deck full of them. Um, it tells you like to not look away and then it tells you to type something in and it absolutely got me because I was not looking at Asmodeus while I was typing. I was looking down at my keyboard or at the text that I was typing in and I missed an instruction and or at the like fake steam notifications. That was Yeah, Nate, you were the one. Well, the thing is I knew that Nate was playing at the same time as I was. And then I saw notifications popping up, and I was like, wait, why is he talking to me here oh, instead of the on Slack? Setup, the setup of that is absolutely <laughs> demented. It uses your friends. I, I Guys, I have to be honest with you something about something. Okay, so if you're listening and you haven't played it yet, what it does is it uses your friends' Steam names to send you fake Steam notifications, okay? While it's, while you're, like, having this these puzzles thrown at you. And... I and you can't read it, or at least the resolution is like so. Oh no, bad. I, I, I could learn it. it I saying. could absolutely read it. So here's the here's the setup for that: is that you're you're talking to Asmodeus, and Asmodeus is asking you to type things in, and each time that he asks you to type something in, it's part of some little demented trick that it's playing on you. But one of them is that he asks you to type something really disgusting and vile. He says, type the worst thing that you can think of. And you do that, and only moments later, you start getting Steam messages. In my case, they were coming from somebody that I knew in high school and have on my Steam list, but I've literally almost never talked to. Uh, And so I was like very, but, but it's also the sort of person who you're like, I guess it wouldn't be that weird for them to message me through Steam. And they and they're reading back to you the uh the message that you just the the vile thing. Okay, maybe we should ask what was the vile thing that you guys typed? <laughs> I'm uh I was I was very topical with mine and I just wrote golden showers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wrote I wrote I love Donald Trump. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, oh that my God. is pretty we both, vile. We both we both went that route. Um, what'd you write, Laura? I'm trying to remember. I think yeah. I. I honestly don't remember. It was too I mean, vile for too vile for radio. It I was too vile for radio. Well, I actually told a dirtier joke at work today that I. We'll pretend that I type that in. Okay. Yeah. So I was, um, I was I, terrified in that moment that that the game ha- or Asmodeus had just sent that to all of my Steam friends and the notifications. I love Donald from Trump. Got sent like, to everybody. Oh my god. Yeah. And 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 uh, this person that I knew in high school is is writing a message to me saying, "Oh my god, did your account get hacked? I love Donald Trump?" Question mark. LOL. I'm like, "Oh my god, did it just send that to everyone that I know?" That's so funny. See, I so for mine. Um, I couldn't get the resolution high enough on my game, on my laptop, where, like, small text like that, I couldn't, I couldn't read, read it. it. So all I had was what looked like Steam notifications popping up from, uh, similar to you, Reagan, not a guy I went to high school with, but, like, a guy I kind of know that, like, we kind of played games together and, like, but I haven't talked to him in a couple years. And, like, well, that's a funny time for him to, you know, ping me on, on Steam, but... Okay, like, whatever. And so I spent, like, five minutes because I couldn't read it. So I didn't know that it was, it was like, text from the game. Mm-hmm. I spent, like, five minutes trying to find my Google or my Steam chat. Like, because I found the person who pinged me and I opened up the chat log in the friend history and there was nothing there. And I'm like, well, how do I see history? So I literally Googled seeing Steam history chat and i feel so but i i'm not afraid to tell this on the show because but i felt so stupid when after like i googled that i started reading i'm like wait a second (laughs) and then i put the got me yeah and and i had to like re i had to replay the the uh that like little moment in the puzzle and i put the game into uh uh not full screen Mm mm-hmm and then the notification showed up in my little window of the game. I'm like, holy shit, I have not been tricked like that. It's like a Undertale, you know, mm-hmm. kind of pull some things like that on you. Um, and I think there's some inspiration for this game oh, yeah. uh, from Undertale for sure. Um, and uh, I have not been tricked that hard by a game. Uh, ever, I think. Like, Undertale, I was, I was like, oh, that was clever. I didn't know a game could do that. This, I was like, oh, let me get this game out of my way. There's something else going on. And then it turns <laughs> out to be the game messing well, with Yeah. On Slack, you were telling everybody, like, you were telling people you were having trouble with the game, and then I see Steam messages coming up, and I was like, Nate, I can already talk to you on another platform. I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> I love that it was coming because I couldn't Nate. see That's the messages. So I just couldn't see what it said, so I kept seeing your Steam ID, and I was like, "What the what the hell, Nate? Like, I'm already getting Slack notifications." I was like, "Chill out. I'll help was, you in a minute." The, Laura, the terror for hell? me of thinking that I had just sent, <laughs> you know, this disgusting uh, political stance to everyone I know on Steam was the was the true <laughs> horror. Of of the Pony Island, it was really it was really mo- I was really mortified. I was worried, like, okay, how many of the things that I've been typing in here have been going out? And this what else? So effective. It, if it if it can send text to my friends, what else might it be sending? Like stuff that I'm not typing in. Could it be sending something 
else? Oh my god, I was terrified for about a minute. <laughs> it's like you're like I got to delete all read the nudes. The terms of service. <laughs> yeah, I got to delete all the it. nude photos from my photo library because this five dollar game from Steam is sending them to everyone. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that the the other big I guess gotcha of the Asmodeus battle came after that one because it was it was it had more of a tell. I was playing on a Mac. And not long after that incident with the Steam notifications that look exactly like, fortunately, I guess, Steam notifications look identical on all platforms. But the game crashes, but it crashed with a Windows crash message. So that was pretty obvious that it wasn't factual, right? Um, It was still very impressive and cool. But in a way, I was kind of bummed that they hadn't, like, localized that screen for the Mac, right? Like, I know what a Windows crash message looks like versus a Mac one. That's a bit of a letdown, in my opinion. And I think that the developer ought to go back and uh, obviously, you know, the Mac market is fairly small on Steam. But that's, like, a really cool element. And come on, guys. Like, you you can do that. Give it a different graphic for the Mac crash. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, Steam still tells us to create a desktop shortcut every time we install a game. So. Oh my god, it says start menu shortcut. I saw that like uh, like a week ago. Yeah, a start menu has, shortcut. Yeah. How long has uh, has Steam been on the Mac and they still give you the option to create a start menu shortcut? Start menu. Yeah. Ridiculous. And it says C Come on, drive guys. in some of the settings. Ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, well, we'll do another podcast where we really take Steam to task. But uh <laughs> yeah, and and those are just some of the examples of ways that this game surprises you in ways that are I mean, those are like clear like fourth wall breaking kind of stuff, but like it wasn't limited to that. You know, if it had just been that, I would have thought, well, this is a clever gimmick but not a cool game. You know, it's a it's a collection of weird gimmicks, but it was the way in which those were used in the context of a game that I actually found surprisingly fun. Um, yeah. I really like, and those were like, like you said, that's within the last like 20, 20, 25 minutes of the game is when this stuff starts happening. And I think that's what made it so effective. It's like they had done nothing, uh, to pretend to be like your computer or anything like that up until that point. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking in the way that like the, uh, hopeless soul is talking to you. But the, like, Steam notifications, that's, like, totally out of left field. And since, you know, this is a game that you kind of play in one sitting or maybe two, you know, at this point, I've been focused on this game for, you know, two hours straight. And so when that stuff starts popping up, I am about as susceptible as you can be at that moment because I'm, like, into Pony Island. And I see a Steam notification, I'm like, that's weird and next thing you know i'm googling shit and and now we're talking about it and i love that like actually for the three of us we all had different freakouts from that like it was it was different for all of us and yet every one of us bought it hook line and sinker like that was that was very very cool so there's lots of little things like that in the game and obviously we won't mention all of them but it's full of these little surprises throughout and i just had a I had a really great time playing it Um, and it's only two and a half hours and it's only $5. I think it's like prime short game territory. Now I don't necessarily think it's for everybody. Um, Some folks would probably be put off by the aesthetic or the sort of like, I guess like hot topiciness that we talked about earlier. Anarchic sensibilities. Yeah. The charming satanism. I think there's probably some people who will, um, play it for the first half hour and say, this is stupid and stop. And I think that uh, there's probably been a lot of people who will like it 
if they get past that because that is how I felt. I thought I was like, this is stupid. Um, but after completing it, well, really after like that first hump, getting over that first like 30 minutes, uh, which is not inherently bad. It's just, it, it's like an aesthetic that I personally don't like. Same um, here, really. So, you know, so yeah. there, there's certainly some people who like right out of the gates, you know, this game is great. It's just like for me and it seems like for you guys, like the first 30 minutes or so, it's not what I really go for. But it does enough to like break past that, that everything kind of comes together and you realize that the first half was also a part of that. And the second half wouldn't be as effective if it wasn't for how the first part was handled. Yeah, um, it's not an and, attractive aesthetic, but it is an effective aesthetic at conveying what the game mm-hmm. is trying to convey. But you do have to get far enough to understand what the game is trying to convey for it to make any sense at all and not be frankly off-putting. The third stage you play is the colorful, real look of the game <laughs> where the pony is like pastel and there's butterflies and it's very lovely. And that only makes sense as a skin placed atop the satanic stuff in the previous levels. A lot of it is building on the things that you might not have liked as much in the beginning, but it feels so satisfying to see the variance later on. There's a part where you play other types of Pony Island, including a text adventure, and you've been playing, you've been jumping over those damn gates for days, it seems like at this point. And it's funny in a two and a half hour game to complain about that, but you've been jumping gates for a while. And uh, one of the things, the options is a text adventure and um, you know, you approach the flagpole like Mario after you've been doing all this and it says, um, do you jump shoot or do nothing? And you jump and it says, didn't matter. Your neck breaks when it impacts the flag post. It's okay. You are no longer that pony. An explosion of confetti announces your success. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. The text yeah. adventure was a great twist. I also really liked uh pony Island 3d comes in. You're kind of getting, yeah. the, you know, these, these, uh, these, uh, you know, test versions that Satan has on his desktop of discarded games. And the 3d pony Island was this like absurd, uh, like, uh, well, no, an endless runner First doesn't work person. in 3D. It's so You're literally bad. just, oh, it's, it's, the game yeah. is full of these great little ideas that never, ever overstay their welcome. You know, you play that text adventure for three minutes or two minutes. Mm-hmm. You play Pony Island 3D for maybe one minute. But these are just clever ideas thrown in just to delight you for one moment. And then you're back to trying to escape from the world. Yeah, I have to say, uh, you know, when you're talking about the the full color Pony Island, um, it I was laughing so hard. Like the 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 music picks up and like it's so beautifully like cheerful. Um, now that being said, uh, this is just for me personally. This game actually took me like four hours to beat um, because I I had like a lot of like strange eye problems and something about like pastel colors and and fast moving pastel things. It was like impossible for me. I think. Oh, I, yeah, you're uh, colorblind, I, aren't you? No, well, kind of. Basically, like a lot of things and colors can be a problem depending. And um, so, like the purple on like the green of the butterflies, and I probably it probably took me like a hundred times at least to beat this one level, and I was like going crazy um but i finally got past it and it felt even better but the game actually started glitching and it was like 
the game was like freezing on me and I was like, this game is like, Oh my God. Like I was just getting frustrated. I'm like, Oh, it's freezing on me. And then I realized, well, it's like, yeah, cause it probably didn't expect anyone to take a hundred times on this level. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not actually, I, to, like, I don't think you're you. alone on that. I had some levels do that too. And it was pretty frustrating. Uh, I think that might've been Jesus a Mac me, port issue. You know, I sometimes get these frame rate problems on the Mac ports of games on steam and I don't really blame them. You know, ten, Macs tend to not have the beefiest graphics cards and you know they're the the mac port is like certainly not going to make these developers a lot of money i appreciate that they put any time into it at all but you i I got these frame rate hitches that seemed to happen just as i would jump and that would kill me because like i you'd you'd click the button to jump and the the screen would freeze for a quarter of a second or half a second and in that time, it wouldn't have registered my jump input, and I would have impacted and, uh, you know, broken my neck on the gate, apparently. <laughs> that was the exact same issue I had. Yeah. Um, but it happened to, to me a ton because it took me, like, a million times to beat this level. It yeah. was only the one. It was, like, the first time that it gets really complicated on the color levels where you have the butterflies that you can't shoot versus the butterflies that you can shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the first level where they had Jesus, where after you defeat him, it says real big on the screen, you killed Jesus, which is <laughs> always hilarious. Um, that one was fine. It was just like this one level and I just could not beat it. Um, it was just like, I couldn't trace like track what was happening on the screen. And this is just me, but it like, it caused like, me to have a real roadblock on this game but i ultimately got through it and i am glad that i did because it was the ending is worth it to get through did you saps uninstall the game oh yeah yeah it's so funny so i i it's not really worth it to uh i guess like go beat by beat how the game ends but at the very very end i think that you're right this is worth talking about the like hopeless soul gets on the screen and tells you to uninstall the game. That's the only way to like truly free his soul, uh, his or her soul is to uh, like delete, to delete the game, the game and, yeah, from your hard drive. Yeah. This was a this was a bit of a beat right out of Undertale. Uh, not to spoil any oh, ending yeah. of that, the but don't yeah yeah. And like I I I still it still worked on me. I still thought it was cool. Uh, it was a little more effective for me in Undertale because of just sort of the like heartbreakingness of it but i connected more emotionally with that game than i think i did with this one well yeah yeah but it's it's still a very clever idea like oh we finally escaped but the only way to truly escape from pony island is to delete pony island delete pony island now from your hard drive delete it now and um of course i did not i immediately like quit it because the game quits for you actually the game the game exits itself automatically when he begs you to delete the game but of course i cruel bastard that i am immediately booted it back up and it's you know there's not any like huge surprises waiting for you if you do that uh, or at least none that i discovered um it does let you go back well i mean it just started back up and i could uh i could uh i guess start the game over i didn't go very much farther with it um i was kind of done i am I deleted the game. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. like, Undertale, I was like, I could see myself replaying this. And this one, I was like, I got it. And I uninstalled it and was like, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had the same thing. Like, the, yeah, I had the same thing. Like, I'm not going to beat this game again. That's no knock on the game by any means. I yeah. almost never play a game again. Um, but, like, yeah, I was like, okay, 
I beat it. That was a complete experience. One of the things that we talk a lot about on this show. Um, I felt that I had six, you know, I felt great about beating it. And the game to- literally told me to uninstall it. I said, okay. <laughs> Went into Steam and uninstalled it. Yep. I was, I was mostly expecting because there's like multiple locked achievements. Uh, I was expecting for one of those to like trigger, but it didn't. So I, I'm not even sure it's it, technically it just, possible for the, for an achievement know, to trigger when think, you uninstall. But who knows with this game, right? Who knows? That's what maybe I was it's thinking. Psyching like, you hey, out maybe somehow. It does. Yeah. Maybe and, they just nope. made a screenshot of your Steam library, and, yeah. and you're still playing the game. You're stuck. You're still <laughs> yeah, playing it right like now. When you, uh, a good prank to play on someone is to screenshot their desktop, make that their desktop background, and then delete all their shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> You you heartless bastard. So glad you're my friend, Nate. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, we live in different cities. There's no way I can get to your uh, computer. But, um, or can he? No, there's, it's just you delete the game and that's it. That's so, it. So um, I guess, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Um, I guess that's all I've got to say about Pony Island apart from that I thought it was pretty cool. And I'm kind of sad I slept on it through all of 2016. This came out in January 2016. I had all this time to get it get it, and play it. It seemed right up our alley in a sense. But I let that uh, aesthetic put me off and I let that first kind of uh, startup experience of it, which is like deliberately kind of off-putting, kind of put me off. And I'm glad that I eventually, you know, gave it a yeah, shot. This. Think you should too. This game checks a ton of the stuff that we look for in a game, and I agree. It was definitely uh, one of the more unique games. It, it, you know, when we were talking about like our games of the year of 2016, or like things about the year 2016, like I don't know of any other game that felt like this. You know, that was this is a very unique game. Yeah, um, in I mean, a, we put uh, a dark room so high a couple of years ago, and it yeah. was. Like that in a way, like it. It felt like a subversive in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. In I wouldn't. A, I wouldn't game... put this on the same level as that in in a sense. But no, so no. I, I think I prefer a... a dark room. But yeah. it's it's the same kind of feel. In well, a sense, yeah. In, in a in a mar- in a game marketplace uh, where, like you know, Firewatch sold a million copies, um, which is them. insane, by the way. But yeah, and it's awesome. But like you know, that type of experience, uh, which is becoming more and more popular, which is great. We love that. Uh, that's one of our favorite types of games. Uh, you know, the fact that there's something like this Pony Island, like also coming out like right around the same time of Firewatch, just shows like the depth and the variety of games that are being put out and often under everyone's radar. I know this game is very highly reviewed by those that have played it, but it's not, at least from what I can tell, a super popular game. You know, and and it's awesome. I, I I totally recommend it. Games contain multitudes. Yeah, but it's great that they've had success with it too. Like they put right in the Steam description that this is as indie as it gets. They list three staff: Daniel Mullins, the creator; uh, Simon Jenkins, the consulted designer; and Jonah Senzel, the musician. This is essentially a one man shop with two people helping, and it's great that like it's found success. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a really neat thing, uh, and you know. I uh, I see that he has another game coming out later this year in 2017. Um, I don't know much about it. It's called Hex, and uh, I probably don't want to know much about it. I read a little bit about it, and it is kind of murder mystery. There's a lot of archetypes. Archetypes? Something like that. Uh, they are 
all accused of a murder, including, I think, the fourth wall is one of the characters you can play. <laughs> and you have to figure out... And it's it's going to have a lot of that stacked games within games. And like I read a few descriptions. It's supposed to come out early 2017, so... Wow, that's a quick turnaround. The, you know, one year. It Yeah, it's a year. So um, he'd been working on it a little bit before he announced, but still, it's it's a pretty quick turnaround. I'm... It's supposed to be a little more about the investigation than um, cool. anything else. Well, I'm looking forward to checking that out. So thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. And thank you for sticking with The Short Game into 2017. This is our uh, third year. Well, actually, I guess we're we are now a three-year-old podcast. We're beginning our fourth year as a podcast, which is uh, exciting. And uh, we've been really enjoying all of the listener comments and by email and on Twitter. And those are all great ways to get in touch with us. Um, I want to specifically thank one particular listener for two reasons. Uh, thank you, Mr. Pac-Man, uh, one of our listeners who has written us a lovely recent iTunes review. We really appreciate those and they really make a big difference for the show. But he also let me know when no one else did that uh, <laughs> our overcooked episode, the previous episode, went up with a bad audio editing uh, error in it where I uh, had the volume of the uh, intro music way up. So if your ears were blasted by that, I apologize. And uh, and uh, if you re-download the episode now, it is now fixed. Um, but thank you, Mr. Pac-Man, for alerting me about that and also for the lovely iTunes review, which we all were very chuffed about. He also wrote us a great email with a ton of great recommendations. This guy's hitting us on uh, like every front, so yes, it's awesome. And we and he complimented we, my spreadsheets. <laughs> did so. Be like Mr. Pac-Man, listeners. Uh, <laughs> drop us a line on our website. We we've received a lot of emails lately from our listeners, and it is like the most fun thing uh, uh, that that could happen. Like, please, we love hearing from you guys. Yeah, yeah. especially because at the beginning of the year, it can be really hard to find games. That that we haven't talked about already because a lot of the 2016 stuff we were really careful to cover. So we love looking through your emails, seeing what you suggest, checking them out. Um, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And some of those some of those emails that we've been getting start with phrases like, oh, you've probably gotten this recommendation a lot before, but no, we haven't. You know, it, there's a real serious chance that we missed really cool stuff. If you know about it, let us know. We want to know what uh, what you're interested in hearing episodes about or what you think was cool. So absolutely drop us a line. And you can be like Mr. Pac-Man and do that at <laughs> www.theshortgame.net. We've got a contact form there. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Or we're on Facebook. We don't mention that a lot because I'm not the biggest Facebook guy, but I'm trying to mend my ways. I know a lot of folks are on Facebook. That's their thing. And I want to be there with you and talk about short games. So you can find The Short Game on Facebook. Uh, and... Um, you can find me also on uh, the internet, mostly on Twitter, at underscore, excuse me, but to give the shows one, I'm at Reagan K, that's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? Also on Twitter at Nate STL. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>